Welcome to the Advisor Arena Podcast with your hosts, Jamie Malm and Josh Watson. This show is designed to share ideas and help you gain insight from some of your most successful peers. We will discuss industry news, hot topics, and challenges you may face, as well as give you some possible solutions. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Advisor Arena Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Malm, and I've got Josh Watson with me. Josh, how are you? I'm doing great. Very excited about today's topic. I think it's going to be a good one for not only uh, financial advisors, but consumers. So happy to, happy to have our uh, guest on today. Yeah, it's not always that we have a topic that is so uh, applicable to both consumers and financial advisors, and we definitely have that today. So our guest is Jamie Weiss. Jamie and I met, gosh, probably four or five years ago. I was in Kansas City supporting one of my financial advisors who was doing a women's workshop. And Jamie, you were there. You were co-presenting that day as her estate planning attorney. You spoke about some of the things to watch out for and structure and and have helped women start planning. So we're really excited to pick your brain today and give advisors uh, an opportunity to really create that foundation that's so important when they're supporting their clients. Yes, yes, I'm really excited to be here um, and talk about potentially my favorite topic, um, estate planning and probate, which most people can't (laughs) say, (laughs) but I genuinely, when I say that, I genuinely mean it um, because I have just learned uh, how important, you know, it's the one area of law that we are absolutely guaranteed to need at some point in our life, either before or after death. And so if you take just a few steps, you can control exactly what happens, exactly the process that your your family has to deal with, and you can make things so easy on them. Um, but it's also probably the, the one area of law that people want to avoid um, as much as possible because it's just it's never a pleasant topic, um, a pleasant conversation. Um, but you know, it's one that we need to have. We talked about that a couple of episodes ago when we talk about life insurance planning and. I don't remember who said it, if it was in a video or if it was on that podcast, but you know, you don't, you don't buy life insurance for yourself. You, you don't buy it for when you die, you buy it for when they right. don't. And this is the same kind of thing. No, we don't want to think about that. We don't want to talk about it, but we all over plan for our kids and our families and our daily lives. And this is one of those biggies that we just can't ignore. So you're the owner of Weiss Law Firm, started in Kansas, if I remember correctly, but you're in Kansas and Missouri now, right? And have done that for yes. 10 plus years? Um, yes, I've been an attorney since 2007. I've had my firm since 2011, um, and I've been licensed in Missouri since 2013. That's awesome. And I've noticed a couple of things on your bio that I want to hit on that might be totally unrelated. I don't know. We're going to find out. But I love <laughs> I love when people in their professional lives really give some insight into who they are and what they believe in. And you find ways to incorporate that into what you do. So I want to pick your brain here a little bit, because in your bio, you highlight that you're the if I tell me if I'm wrong, but founding president of USD 232, the Education Foundation. Yes, yes, um, I helped to. Um, I did the the nonprofit filing, you know, the 501c paperwork for for that. Um, and if you're in the Kansas City area, that's known as the DeSoto um, DeSoto School District. 
And we were the only one in Johnson County who did not have an education foundation. And it, it, there were several, several people in the, in the district that it was important to, and they were trying to, you know, find the right people. And then there was about four or five of us that all just kind of met happenstance. And I said, well, I know the legal side and somebody else knew the fundraising side and somebody else, you know, knew this. And and it just all wonderfully came together. Um, Let's see. I believe we filed. I'm really sorry. I have lost all track of time. Thank you, COVID. (laughs) But I believe we filed in the fall of either 2018 or 2019. Um, And what was great is we had um, in April of 2019, we had kind of our kickoff breakfast before we had even really received um, our official uh, designation from the IRS. But we said, hey, this is new. We're here. Let's start get this. And, And there was excitement building. And we were so excited to have our annual April um, breakfast and then, you know, COVID. April of 2020, mm-hmm. obviously that did not, <laughs> that did not happen. So we are a very much a baby organization trying to find our way, um, and trying to do that in the era of COVID and not, not being able to see people face to face and spread that message. So, um, first of all, thank you for highlighting that. <laughs> so I could well, one more avenue for me to talk about it, but I love that you've taken something that you know well in your professional life and you stepped up and said, hey, I know this side of it. I think we could create something here that's really important to me and to our community and to our kids. And we all have opportunities like that, right? But sometimes it's, do I have time or what, you know, how would that fit into the other things that I do? So tell me, and maybe you haven't had time to, you know, really see how this blossoms, but what do you foresee anyway? Is there, do you see a way in the future? Because I know we've got entrepreneurs on here where this foundation is going to play back into how you grow your law practice as well. Well, certainly the wonderful thing is when you, when you work with your, the schools where your children are going, like I, I know everybody now, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so not only does it, is that, you know, passive advertising just by saying, oh yeah, Jamie Weiss helped us form our nonprofit and she does corporate work and she does estate planning and probate. You know, that's basically how everybody I know through the school introduces me because that's their way. You know, I, I, it was a labor of love for me. And so that's their way of paying me back, you know, by saying, thank you so much. Let's, let's talk about this as, as much as possible. And so even, you know, even just in, in the introduction I receive, and I've never asked them to do that, but even in the introductions I receive, you know, I'm getting that, again, passive, passive marketing, passive advertisement yes. saying, hey, by the way, this person exists and this is what they do. And they, not only that they exist and this is what they do, but hey, by the way, they have poured back into your community, which really has resonated with um, a lot, a lot of the people in my neighborhood, in my community as well. I think that's such an important topic because we have small business owners, we have entrepreneurs, we have financial advisors, all that are listening to this and various, you know, we have various industries even that are listening, but everybody is always trying to find ways to mesh kind of their work life, their personal life. And how do I just use the things that I'm passionate about, that I care about and use it to grow my business. And it doesn't always have to be two totally separate events. 
obviously with estate planning and trust work, you're protecting families. You're ensuring that families are setting things up for their kids and to make sure everybody's taken care of. And that plays so easily over into the education foundation. You can see you're really practicing what you preach. And this is something you care so deeply about. You're willing to go out and be the founding president of it. So I way to go. I was really interested in that. So I'm glad you expanded <laughs> on it a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. So we touched on this, but the idea of estate planning obviously isn't everybody's favorite topic. But I also think there's this uh, misconception, maybe, that it's just for high net worth people. Do you get that where people think, oh, I don't need to talk estate planning. Oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't have enough assets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a common joke that I hear all the time is, why do I need to do estate planning? I don't even have an estate, right? And, and I get that because it, it also used to be that um, only rich people needed trust. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's what I've learned with my six or seven years now that I've been doing probate work. Um, it doesn't matter if you have $12 or you have $12 million. We the, the government still has to know who is supposed to receive that on your death. And they're not going to transfer that to somebody else just because they say they're your children, just because they're your spouse. Um, Gosh, I have so many probate horror stories, and a lot of them revolve around property that's not that valuable, um, but we have to do something with it, right? And so what I always try to drive home to my clients is, first of all, guardianship. If you have minor children is the biggest reason people, people see me, which obviously is the most important reason for people to see me. The second most important part of your estate plan is actually your power of attorneys, not your will, not your trust. It doesn't, those are, or maybe the tertiary level because um, the power of attorneys matter because those are active while you're alive, while you're unable to handle your affairs. There's somebody else paying your bills and making your health decisions. And if you recover from whatever it is that has made you incapacitated, you are quite literally living with the decisions that those people made. Um, if somebody screws up on when they're the executor of your will, okay, we're not talking about life and death situations as we would with your healthcare power of attorney or, you know, all of the money somebody could steal from you if you don't have the financial power of attorney set up correctly. Um, so there are just so many reasons aside from wealth. You know, you can have children without having wealth, right? In fact, sometimes that that is, uh, you know, inversely correlated. The more children, it's the have, reason we the don't have wealth. wealth. Have. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. right. Um, so, um, so, anyways, you can, you know, children are the biggest thing, and but then again, your health is very important, and you need to make sure that you have appointed the person you are comfortable with to make those decisions. I am sure you have seen some things not go as planned. And I've talked about this a little bit on previous episodes, but we're dealing with uh, my father-in-law who has Alzheimer's and my husband and his siblings are power of attorney. And just thank goodness um, they had the wherewithal to get that in place, you know, when he was able to make those decisions. But mm-hmm. I, even in the midst of it, even knowing the impact this can make, I still personally was thinking, gosh, sometime when I'm older, I should really get a power of attorney in place in case we need that. And it, I mean, isn't that silly? Because what if Brad and I were in a car accident <laughs> tomorrow, who would be making decisions? I have a will, but nothing for power of attorney if we live, but aren't able to make those decisions. 
Right. Right. And I'm, I'm in this industry and I'm talking to you. I set up this podcast and I literally (laughs) still right now don't have it. So I mean, I know we have to have financial advisors on here that are thinking, um, I think I ask people that, or I probably do a pretty good job, but I can tell you if you are an advisor and you are not like built into your fact finding mission, asking all the detailed questions about power of attorney documents. And do you have a trust? Do you have a will? Do you have healthcare directives? Do you have an attorney that you're working with? Those are foundational type items that you should be asking every single time as part of a fail safe process to ensure people have like the bare bone structure in place of what they need to do to take care of themselves and their families. Yeah. And that, you know, an interesting part of those questions, because obviously I'm, I'm in a different area, but I always ask, do you, you know, do you have enough life insurance? Do you have, mm-hmm. who, who is your financial planner? Who are you working with? First of all, I might need to reach out to those people. If I have a question, if we're trying to update your assets and make sure they flow through to the, to the trust or whatever the case may be. But in the grand scheme of things, I also want to be a resource for my clients so that if they need a financial planner, if they need an insurance agent, I have somebody that I trust. And so since I've already, you know, kind of built that trust with that client, if I can just extend it a little farther and say, this is somebody I know, like, and trust, so you should know, like, and trust them as well, um, that just makes me actually that much more valuable because I'm solving another problem that probably the client knew existed in the back of their mind, just like they knew they, they need a financial power of attorney. They know they need a will. They know these things. But, you know, it's overwhelming if you try to take it, them all on at the same time. But if you have somebody who literally says, yes, I know somebody who can help you with this problem and I'm going to connect you and then they will help you to solve this problem. I mean, that's invaluable to clients. Absolutely invaluable. It's so important that they work together. So For financial advisors listening, if you don't have an estate planning attorney that you can go to, that you've partnered with, that you refer to, that refers back to you, that's a vital relationship. If you're in Kansas or Missouri and want to reach out to Jamie, by all means, we'll give you information to do that. Um, If you're a consumer and you're listening and you're thinking, well, I have an advisor, I have an attorney, but I don't know that they know each other and I don't know that they're talking to each other. That is a relationship that I would make sure is they're working together for some holistic planning. Josh and I just had a situation last week and Josh, we don't want to give away any names here, but I think you'll know what I'm talking about when we had a situation where a very wealthy gentleman had a trust set up. He knew how he wanted the trust to dictate it, but the financial advisor was not, he didn't do anything intentionally. He just doesn't really, he did not understand really how the, trust and the annuity and everything should have been structured to carry out those wishes. And we have a big mistake on our hands. Yeah. Yeah. It it can, it it can lead to huge problems. um, Like you're saying, Jamie. And uh, unfortunately this guy, his, he wasn't working with the estate planning attorney. The product he used didn't match up with the, the plan that the attorney put together. So that's definitely a thing that can happen. And nobody did anything intentionally wrong. As a standalone, each thing would have been okay. But the way that they combine them, it's why I love it when advisors say, you know, we work together or, you know, the attorney sent me this and she sent me the trust documents. It's great because then we know 
you know, everybody's on the same page. We've got holistic planning going here. And as a consumer, that's exactly what you want. So I want to circle back, though, because one of the things that I'm obviously very interested in and anybody that does, um, you know, asset center management is going to have younger clients, clients that could still have minor children. So, Josh, how old is Logan? Is she five? She is five, just turned five in December. Well, much younger than my kids. I have teenagers, so we're kind of, you know, at the tail end. But when Emma was born, you know, Brad and I were early 20s. We didn't have a lot of money. I think we got online and just did a will. Like, I, I don't know what to do, but we got to have something here. We didn't have any assets. I wasn't cared about any of that. I cared about who is going to take care of Emma. So tell me a little bit about just the basic, like, guardianship. Is that a will? Is it a trust? What do you recommend for clients that need that first and foremost? Yes. Okay. So guardianship can only be taken care of through a will. Um, so I always tell my clients, if you set up a trust, um, we can't 100% entirely avoid probate if you have a minor child, because that can only occur through through probate. A judge has to sign off on on an order of guardianship. Um, the the point is we want to make that the only part of probate we have to go through, but I just like to be transparent and clear from the start that if you have kids under 18 and your objective is to completely avoid probate, we're going to have to change your objective because nobody can get you there. Um, but if guardianship is the one thing that's driving you, then yeah, it's you just set up um, a will and you say, okay, this is the, the person that, or persons, if it's perhaps maybe a married couple, um, who, who would be best uh, to take care of my child in the event something happened to me. Um, you always need to name at least one backup. Two is even better because if you name one backup, that's, that's going to get you there. You know, the likelihood that something's going to happen to you and this person and the, you know, your second mm -hmm. choice it's pretty small, but, but still, if you, you know, you need like three, three choices basically um, to make sure, and really three people who don't live together. So if you name a married couple, that's really one choice. And the reason I say don't live together is because, let's face it, if you live together, um, you drive in the same car, you, you take the same vacation. So if something happens to one of you, there's a slightly higher chance that something's going to happen to both of you than if you don't live together and your life is not intimately intertwined with this other person, right? So again, really, if it's a married couple, you need to think of that as one choice, not two choices. Um, but yeah, that that is something that you, you handle just through a will. And um, like I said, if you have a child under 18, it's vitally important. I actually just had a consultation the other day where they had one choice and, and uh, the spouse was the backup. And so I walked them through what I, what I had just said. And they said, you know, gosh, there's really nobody else that we really feel comfortable with. And so I, you know, was throwing out, obviously, I don't know them. So I don't know their friends and family members. But I was saying, think about neighbors, think about cousins, think about these different, these different people. And they said, well, you know, there's really only, we really just don't want my mom. You know, God bless her. She just would not, she just should not raise the kids. Either health reasons. Right. Uh, belief reasons, whatever the case may be. And I said, well, here's the deal. If something happens to, to this, this friend and this backup that you've chosen, your mom is getting the kids because you, you've not designated anybody else. And so grandparents, aunts and uncles, they're going to be the first ones in line 
to take over those responsibilities. So if you want to make sure that that doesn't happen, we need to come up with some more people right now. And, um, you know, so we just kept talking until we came up with, with another uh, two people that they felt comfortable with. And so it's not just a matter of designating who you want to be the guardian. It's saying, okay, not that this person is horrible, not, you know, not that they should never be around my kids, but there's a difference between being around my children and literally raising them and instilling those beliefs that I, I would want them to have and, and, and the, the morals and everything else. And so you just need to make sure that you're the one making that decision. And the best way to do that is to just name as many people as possible so that the judge never has to look at, at a will and says, well, you named them, but they're gone. And so now I just have to decide between whoever submits a petition and, and, Again, grandma's always going to win <laughs> win that contest. I have a follow-up question on that, which I hadn't really thought of. Um, what happens in the case that you name, let's say, a, a backup, and you've talked to them and they say, yeah, great, we'll do it, and then they're divorced or they move away or you know, whatever reason they're not able to do it. I think you just touched on it there, but then ultimately it comes down to a petition. It's whoever petitions for it and the judge makes the decision. So if you have a guardianship and those people have not declined to serve um, or they are not, they've not passed away, um, then it's going to be those people. Basically we're talking about, or excuse me, I was talking about a situation where you've maybe named two or three people something happened to all of those people. Mm -hmm. And so you, you originally named guardians, but now those people literally cannot serve for whatever reason. And so at that point, the judge would just have to, you know, say, okay, well, let's, who, who, who wants to take these kids on? I mean, that's unfortunately um, the information that they have. And then they just have a hearing and they, between whoever, whoever applies essentially and, and the judge decides in that. Gosh, situation. I would imagine most so, parents are listening, cringing, thinking of that as an instant. So oh. I know. And I, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the worst because this is, while it's the main driver for people to take care of their estate plan, it's also one thing. And even me as an estate planning attorney, I don't, I don't want to think about somebody else raising my children. Um, but if, if I, what I can do to mitigate that is make sure that the person who, if that's necessary at ever, at any point down the road, that that person, you know, I believe is, is most like me, so to speak, Mm. you know, so that they're going to take care of the kids the same way I would. They're going to love on them the same way I would. And so we can't control life. So we have to take advantage of any opportunities that we can to control you know, the little things like that, like making sure, okay, if something happens, I've stated who is going to be in charge of my kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So then let's talk about um, the difference in having a will and when somebody would need a trust. A will might be appropriate for somebody that just wants to focus on guardianship, not really concerned about other things, if I heard you correctly. What, who do you recommend a trust for then? When does that come into play? So there's three main reasons for a trust. The first is to avoid estate taxes. Um, Right now, the estate tax limit is some very specific number that I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but it's somewhere around $11.3 million for for a person. Um, If you're married, you can combine yours with your spouse's, so then we get to 22.6 
some odd million dollars. Um, the good news is most of us do not have a state tax liability exposure. We do not have to worry about that. The bad news is we also don't have $22.6 million estate. <laughs> right. um, you know, there's a trade-off in life everywhere, right? But so that one is applicable to some, but, but not most of us. The, the second reason is just some people say, above everything else, I want to avoid probate as much as possible. I want the privacy um, that a trust affords, even if, I, you know, I don't need to drag things out and I'm not worried about my children receiving a distribution for any reason. The third and final reason is because basically you want to protect somebody from themselves. Typically, that's minor children. Uh, you know, if you hand a five-year-old a bunch of money, that's, first of all, never going to happen because the law would put it in a conservatorship. But it, you're not going to have great results. Let's face it, though, if you hand a 21-year-old a lot of money, you might get worse results than handing a five-year-old a lot of money. Um, most of us do not make great decisions when we're, when we're brand-new baby adults. Uh, we just don't have the life experience necessary to know that $500,000 is a nice chunk of change, but it's not probably something you can retire on, and it's definitely something you want to save. Uh, a lot of young adults just don't, don't have the, you know, the ability to, to understand that. Um, my, my joke is always that I, I've always been fairly fiscally conservative and made really good financial decisions, but nobody ever really allowed me not to. Nobody ever, right. ever handed me a chunk of money and said, here, Jamie, make good decisions as a 20-year-old. Um, so that's usually, you know, first of all, if they're under 18, they definitely they cannot inherit under, I believe, any state law, but definitely under Missouri and Kansas. Um, so it would end up in a conservatorship. Um, so if you got a minor, but even if you have a young adult, you probably don't want to just distribute it outright to them. Um, the way I have the, my trust structured for my kids, and I suggest that for pretty much everybody. Now, my kids are 10 and 12, um, so we've still got a few years where they're still minors. But even still, they don't have a right to any of that money until they're 25, and they can pull out one-third, and then one-half of the remaining when they're 30, and then the full amount when they're 35 if, if that's what they choose. There's a couple reasons, and that's, that's kind of the default in our, in our industry, but I really like that because the money is always available to them. The trustee can always decide that, that giving them a distribution is in, is in that beneficiary's best interest. So it's not like they can't access the money at all until they're 35. It's just when they're 25, 30, 35, they can demand, so to speak, that the trustee distribute a certain amount of the money to them. I also like the three, three-step approach. Um, if they screw up with that money at 25, maybe they still don't have enough life experience um, to know what to do with a nice chunk of money, uh, you know, and it's gone in a month. Well, they have four years and 11 months to think about what they're not going to do when they get that distribution at 30, and maybe that one makes it three years, and so now they've got two years to say, okay, this is, I am not going to screw this up. This is my last shot. So, you know, I, you kind of are letting them learn from their own mistakes, which to me is the best. It's really the only way most of us learn, period. Um, some people want to hold it in trust until a child is 50. Yeah, usually you're, you're pretty smart at that point, but I've, I've had clients who've received 
distributions at, you know, 45, 50, 60 even. And they said, gosh, if I, if I could do it all over again, I would. And, and they weren't even necessarily bad mistakes. They just wish they had another shot at it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like giving them a couple chances. And so, and then the, the other part of protecting them from themselves is even if you're a 40 or 50 year old, there might be an addiction issue. There might be a gambling issue. Um, there might be a special needs issue. There might, you know, it might be a 40 year old child who is um, a doctor, a, a contractor, somebody who's in perhaps a highly litigious area and that lawsuit or excuse me, that trust could be lost to a lawsuit. Whereas if we leave it in the trust, we can protect it from creditors and divorces and different things like that. So for the most part, like I said, that, that third category of protecting you from yourself, that encompasses a lot. Um, we're in the grand scheme. It's, it's, it really comes down to Maybe you're able to make good decisions, maybe you're not, but we're going to make sure that you make good decisions, period. Right. Well, Josh and I obviously work with a lot of financial advisors. I mean, very successful, prominent, well-educated financial advisors. And Josh, I don't know about you, but I still get a ton of questions from people that are very well-respected in the advisory community and, and know their stuff. And they get confused on how can I restrict this or how can I set beneficiaries up to do what I want it to do? And ultimately, our answer is you have to put it in a trust. Like I can't structure the beneficiary in a way that you have any say after death. Only a trust can do that. Josh, how often do you run into that? Uh, At least at least once a week. Somebody's asking for the well, in fact, the insurance companies, you know, they've got the restricted beneficiary form. Uh, that the agent can fill out. Apparently, from what I hear, you can even get around that. The beneficiaries can. So really, you're exactly right. To do it right, you have to have the proper documents and estate planning uh, documents in place or the beneficiaries can get right around it. Yeah, and the trust is ironclad. So really great info, Jamie. I think, you know, for the takeaway for any Consumers that are listening, thinking that was a lot of stuff. I'm not quite sure what to do with that. Good news (laughs) is you don't necessarily have to. You need an attorney and an advisor that'll work together. You just need to know what your wishes are. How do you want to take care of your family? For an advisor that's listening to this, I would recommend two things. One, if you're not asking these questions somewhere in your appointment process, ideally right up front, know what kind of structure they have in place. Get introduced to the attorney that they're working with. And if they don't have one, you introduce them to one. You forge that relationship. That's how you provide holistic planning. So Jamie, thank you so much. If somebody wants to come and uh, learn more about you, visit with you, learn about your resources, how do they get in touch with you? Um, So you can check out my website at weastlawfirm.com. And I'm going to sell that because it seems pretty straightforward, but I get all kinds of <laughs> all kinds of variations. It's just a bunch of E's. So it's W E E S as in Sam E lawfirm.com. And I have my rates. I have, you know, some basic information out there. You can even schedule a phone call with me if you want um, to make sure that I'm available at a time that's convenient for you. And, and that just helps us from playing phone tag. Or you can just go ahead and call me at 913-706-8491. Awesome. Thank you. 
And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment. Go wherever you listen to podcasts. If it's on Apple, subscribe, leave us a rating and review. We appreciate all the support and we'll see you next week.